As a strong, independent mother, there is nothing that will get in the way of your child's safety. Soberlink understands the importance of peace of mind when it comes to co-parenting after a divorce. Using the highest quality technology and with features like facial recognition and real-time results, moms like you are empowered with proof that your child is safe. Navigating life post-divorce can be difficult, and having a tool like Soberlink allows for one less thing to stress about. I created this community to provide support for divorced moms like me, which is why I partnered with Soberlink to create this resource, Tips for Single Moms Returning to Work. To access the guide, visit www.soberlink.com forward slash M-M-O. This week on Moms Moving On. If your children don't get along with this individual, then of course that's going to be a factor in whether you stay in the relationship or not. So if you're introducing earlier on in the relationship, definitely stay, keep it focused as this individual as my friend and try to work a little slowly into the new family unit than jumping right back in. But I mean, it's uncomfortable, right? But we're built for uncomfortable situations. We've done them before. And it's part of the reason why I love prenups so much. Yes, they're uncomfortable. Yes, it feels like you're planning for, quote, unquote, an end, right? A cohabitation agreement is planning for your your separation. But it's actually planning to avoid those things because you're putting the time in to make sure that, hey, we're on the same page and we've got it memorialized. And if something happens for our relationship, we can focus on fixing the relationship because we know what else, we know the black hole. We know what will happen if we separate. And I just think that they are such important conversations to have. Life moves on. So why shouldn't we? This is Michelle Dempsey-Moltak, your host of Moms Moving On, navigating divorce, co-parenting, single motherhood, and moving on. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another Moms Moving On. I have a good friend with me on again today. Um, You've probably seen me sharing her stuff all the time. She's a lovely human and a very knowledgeable one at that. We have Lauren Hunt, an attorney and mediator in upstate New York who has practiced exclusively in the field of family and matrimonial law for over a decade. As a child of divorce, she intimately understands how divorce impacts a family and works hard to mitigate those impacts. She has been named to the super lawyer list from 2014 to 2021 and has received several other awards in recognition of her professionalism and advocacy in the areas of family and matrimonial law. If you follow her, you know that she speaks a lot about collaborative divorce. She's also well-versed in how to handle a difficult ex-spouse. And today we're going to talk about looking into the future. What happens when you have a new relationship after divorce? and all of the things that come with that. Lauren, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be back. I'm happy you're back. You're always <laughs> just such a pleasure to talk to and you're so helpful. Yeah. Guys, I'm I'm constantly like behind the scenes DMing her questions, asking for recommendations. Like she's good stuff. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. I love I love all of our little chats and it's always fun when we are able to get together like this. Yes. So I think this is a great topic for us. Um, Things to consider when you're entering a new relationship after divorce and not like, how is my past going to affect my present, but more concrete, real things like when to introduce the kids, 
what to do when you move in together, protecting yourself financially, your property. These are all really big things to consider, aren't they? They are. And, you know, I think it's things that people don't give enough uh, thought to before they're like, oh, whoa, we're way down this path. And I didn't quite, I made a few missteps and now I need to try and figure those out. We can start with what are some of the what not to do's there. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say, so some thoughts on to, as to what not to do, um, you know, in my mind, I sort of see this as breaking into kind of a couple of different areas, right? So first is you have a new significant other and you want to introduce them to your children, which is natural and understandable. I've, I frequently see parents who they may have something in their agreement saying you're supposed to wait a, a specific period of time before introducing the children. You know, I'm happy you're bringing this up. I had a client once who had this um, in her agreement, but her, it was her ex-spouse who crafted the agreement because he himself is an attorney and the language was right. The language (laughs) was so vague that it was, it was basically like, he has to agree when she's going to introduce the children. And I'm like, oh my God, I hope that never ends up in anybody's parenting plan ever again. (laughs) And, and you see these, sometimes you see very strange provisions in parenting plans, but when you when you have a significant other and you want to introduce your children to them, even if you don't think you have anything in your agreement about it, review your document because there could be something in there and you want to make sure that you don't run afoul of that, right? So let's say you've reviewed the agreement and there's something in there. You want to try and follow it. If it's very vague and you don't really know how you could follow it, then maybe touch base with an attorney, right? But let's talk about the situation where there isn't something in the agreement, right? You don't have anything to really govern you. Um, In that situation, my suggestion is that you wait at least six months, you know, and you're in the relationship for about six months before you introduce your children. Um, The idea being you want to make sure that it's a more committed relationship and you don't have a steady stream of people coming in and out of the children's lives. And just in the area where I tend to practice, that's typically seen as about six months. People go earlier, you know, people will immediately introduce the children, but it's not something that's really loved by judges, at least in the area where I practice. No, and I can totally understand that, although I will admit to having introduced Bella earlier than that, because for me personally, I was very interested in seeing the dynamic between my child and my now husband, because if they didn't have a good one, I wasn't going to continue in the relationship. That being said, you're not only that it's a risk. I'm not saying it's not a risk. You also risk really pissing off your ex-spouse and you have to also put yourself in the shoes of your ex. You know, I knew my ex wasn't going to like that. I knew that. But ultimately it was a long-term decision that I needed to make for myself, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think what most people fear when there is no provision in the parenting plan is is this going to piss off my ex and how am I going to deal with it more than what does this mean for my children? And we need to shift the focus there. That's actually a really good point. And one that we should explore a little further, because another thought I had was prior to introducing your significant other is maybe to give the former spouse a heads up in the sense of, and I know, right, you're smiling right now. 
Um, no, it depends I'm smiling on the type of relationship. Because, because yes, it depends on the type of relationship. I'm smiling because I know everybody listening to this is going, what? I need his approval. And that's <laughs> no. the thing is you are not asking for approval. There's a difference between a question and a declaration. You are giving Correct. a declaration of your acts. Exactly. And the way it should come across or the way you want to phrase it is, you know, I'm in a new relationship. Um, you know, I'm giving you the courtesy of knowing who our children are around. And if you think about it, you would want the same courtesy, right? On the other side. A hundred percent. And that's the reason why it's one of those, if you would want to have that done for you, then do it for them because you're just starting to set up, you're starting to set the playing field. Um, and yes, by no means are you saying I want permission to be able to introduce the kids. No, no, no. It's just, I'm giving you a heads up that this is going to happen. And a lot of the times, if people do introduce very early on in the relationship, you do it as though, Hey, this is my friend. Um, that's exactly and, what I did. Yes, exactly. And that's very different than, hi, this is my boyfriend or this is my girlfriend. And um, you have to love him now because I do. I've seen exactly. that. I've seen that. I've seen so many people make the mistake. And it's an innocent mistake of just wanting to recreate this notion of family and play house. And it just takes so much more thought than that. Absolutely. And when you introduce somebody as, Hey, this is my new friend, it makes complete sense that you would do it earlier on in the relationship to make sure that there's a good connection, right? Mm -hmm. Because your, your child, if your children don't get along with this individual, then of course that's going to be a factor in whether you stay in the relationship or not. Mm-hmm. So if you're introducing earlier on in the relationship, definitely stay, keep it focused as this individual is my friend um, and try to work a little slowly into the new family unit than jumping right back in. Very slowly. I mean, slow and steady. People ask all the time, like, you know, how, how much time should I let my kids spend with this new person? And I say few and far between for the first six months, because if they're really just a friend, you're not going to be with them all the time. And what I think so many of us fail to realize is ultimately you're probably going to end up in another relationship after divorce, right? Like you're going to settle back down. You're going to have that whole family unit. That time with your children, though single parenting was challenging as fuck, um, but (laughs) Sorry for the language. That time is time you never get back. And it's such special bonding time. Now that you're parenting in pieces, now that you only have your kids 50, 60, 70% of the time, you want that time to be as meaningful as it can be. And when there's somebody else in the mix, it takes away from that. So I just want anybody listening, like I, I want you to find love and I want you to be a family again in whatever shape or form that looks like. But I also want you to realize how precious this time is. And, you know, it's also after my parents split, I was in the second grade, right? And that, that their split, <laughs> they had a very high conflict divorce or I would characterize it as a high conflict divorce. Um, and it, while they split in the second grade, it, the, the turmoil continued for years. It's so valuable to be able to reconnect with your child individually during that turmoil. And once mm-hmm. it's ended, because you do need to reconnect, you do need to reestablish all of those, those strong bonds, because there is now a change. So absolutely find love, go out and find somebody that, um, you know, fills up that side of your cup. But don't forget that 
reconnecting with your kids is a huge priority too. And they, um, they are now looking for that emotional attachment and safety and security, but that's a whole nother topic. Exactly. We're, we're tangenting <laughs> here. Okay. I'm sorry so, about that. That's me. That's all me all the time. So we're in this new relationship. Life is good. The kids have met. We are ready to talk about moving in together. And we're all in love again. And we're not thinking about property and finances and protecting ourselves. So what are some tips you can give us there? So let's talk a little bit about what happens if you're moving into their home or they're moving into your home. Yes. So you own a home, somebody owns a home. And if you're moving into their home uh, and they're solely on the deed, right? You have no real interest in that property and that's fine, not a problem. But you wanna make sure that there's not a situation where you could potentially be booted from that property on very little notice or no notice. So, um, and the other uh, side of the equation is you also want to consider the fact that if you are contributing to the mortgage for that property or contributing to potentially improvements for that property, if you're not on the deed, you have no interest in those improvements or the pay down of that debt, the, the accrual of equity in that property. So it very well, it could be very, very helpful to consider a document that's called a cohabitation agreement. In New York State, it's called a cohabitation agreement. It could be called something in in various other states. But the idea behind this type of agreement is we're not married. We're going to live together. We're going to cohabitate. Here's how we're going to, if should there be a separation or should there be some difficulty in the future, here's how those things are going to happen. The interest in the house is going to be divided in this way, Um, you know, or potentially a Partner A is going to pay towards the house. Partner B is going to handle all of the utilities. It lays those things out. It also lays out how uh, one person could be removed from the property or uh, you know, how that joint living arrangement could end so that you have appropriate notice going forward. Here's a question that comes up for me that I, I, only because I know of a remarried woman who blended her family who whose new spouse will not at all pay for anything related to her children. Like he's looking at credit card. It's hard. He's (sighs) looking at credit card bills to say, was this stuff at Target for the house or was it for the kids? Because put that on your ex, don't put it on me. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable thing. But people come come to that crossroads and, and now what? Do you think there should be language for that too? Me personally, I think a cohabitation agreement or some sort of an agreement needs to operate in the background where you don't have to constantly be looking back at it to check the language. So I wouldn't love anything like that, but I think that that is part of the reason why conversations about finances have to happen before you move in together. It's so important. What are your expectations? Here's what I'm comfortable doing and, and get ready to have an uncomfortable conversation that will save you endless fights later on down the road. (laughs) But I mean, it's uncomfortable, right? But we're built for uncomfortable situations. We've done them before. And it's part of the reason why I love prenups so much. Um, It's, yes, they're uncomfortable. Yes, it feels like you're planning for, quote unquote, an end, right? A cohabitation agreement is planning for your, your separation. But it's actually planning to avoid those things because mm-hmm. you're putting the time in to make sure that, hey, we're on the same page mm-hmm. and we've got it memorialized. And if something happens for our relationship, 
we can focus on fixing the relationship because we know what else, we know the black hole. We know what will happen if we separate. And I just think that they are such important conversations to have. Wait, 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 wait. Before we do anything, I have to ask, have you not joined the Moms Moving On membership community yet? This is the place I created for anybody looking for the benefits of coaching without having to commit to a high coaching fee. I've rounded up my go-to experts to put together curated content just for you, including free monthly webinars with me, self-confidence boosters, co-parenting tips and strategies, heartbreak advice, divorce anxiety relief, legal advice from top U.S. attorneys and mediators, financial advice, ebooks to help you on your journey, journal prompts and worksheets, discounts for all my favorite brands. The list goes on and on and on. And all of this at only $9.99 a month. Yep, you heard that right. $9.99 a month to be connected to women all over the world who are going through exactly what you're going through and to connect with me. Go to momsmovingon.com slash become a member and join us today. So what happens if you are cohabitating and blended, not married, Mm -hmm. you've opened joint bank accounts, Mm -hmm. you are, you know, basically operating as a married couple without the signed paperwork. What happens if it ends? Like, how does, how does the court see that if you're not married? And so this will slightly vary based upon the laws in everybody's state. But in where I practice, so in New York, you're not a married unit. And so everything is based upon the, the joint bank account is based upon banking law. So you each get if it's you're both joint on the account, you each have an interest in 50 percent or the whole of the account. The house, if you're not on that house, but you've been contributing to the mortgage, you have no interest in that equity, which is a which is really hard. That's a cold bucket of water right Right? over your head. (laughs) You have no interest in any of the equity that you may have contributed to. And, you know, so many times people come to me and they say, but I paid half the mortgage payment every month. I'm like, I'm sorry, your name isn't on the deed. Mm -hmm. You don't have any interest in half of that pay down or half of that equity in the house. Um, And, you know, other things that people acquire, you, you acquire furniture. I mean, just general, you acquire things together. Um, perhaps you have an investment account that's joint. That would also be just based upon banking law. The other thing I've seen have happen is people will cohabitate. One person will stay home with the kids and potentially they're, you know, maybe they don't have joint children, but it's children of their individual prior relationships. And the other person is the er, the, the partner who's earning the income. They separate, and then the let's say it's the it's the mother who has decided to leave the workforce and stay with the kids. She doesn't have any right to spousal support or alimony because she's left the work. If you were married, you would have those rights. Right. A cohabitation agreement or any sort of financial agreement, you can put in there rights to a payment for support. It's not technically considered maintenance or alimony. But you can add those types of things in there. That's critical advice I've never yes. knew. I've never heard mm-hmm. of. That's amazing. It's so, And that's part of the reason why I think these agreements are so important and they're not spoken about enough. But if you don't already have that in an agreement, if you're somebody who's just listening to this and you're like, oh, shit, can you still ask for it? Absolutely. 
Okay. Absolutely. Doesn't matter. You can act, you can do a cohabitation agreement, whether you are about to cohabitate or you've cohabitated for 10 years. And I will tell you, I actually, I have a situation right now where the parties were together for 20 plus years and decided never to get married and then got married very, uh, uh about five years. And then they're in the middle of a divorce. My client, you know, we're working really hard to get an interest in you know, to get maintenance payments based upon the full length of their relationship. But it's, you know, it's, it's an argument. It's hard. So that's why these cohabitation agreements can be so incredibly valuable. This is really interesting stuff. Now, <laughs> um, another You're like, thing. oh no. <laughs> no, I'm, you know, we, he didn't move into my house and I didn't move into his. We bought a new property. Bought jointly. Perfect. Um, yeah. And I was very, I mean, listen, like you, I'm a child of divorce and I saw my mom get remarried very happily. And then he passed and there had nothing been nothing in writing because oh. it was just not, it, it happened quicker than anybody anticipated. And so I really went into this from like the lens of, I got to protect myself. And I remember my husband being like, why are you so focused on like, and I'm like, because like, I'm a mom now. And it is my duty. I'm sorry if it offends you, but it is my duty to know that I'm going to be okay if this doesn't work out. And Ab you should never be too scared to advocate for yourself because no one else is going to do it for you. Oh my gosh. Mic drop right there. Seriously. And I think so frequently we're, we're scared to advocate for ourselves, right? But we're advocating for our kids. We're advocating for their security. And it just, it, they are harder conversations to have, but they are necessary so, conversations. Oh, it was, it was so many sleepless nights. And, you know, the point of this episode is not to tell you, like, have this nice conversation. It's going to go great. No, it may be really uncomfortable and you may have awkward silence for a few days, but it's going to save so much trouble later on down the road. Everything related to life after divorce, how you figure out your parenting plan, how you co-parent, it's playing the long game. It's not for right now. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, when you're talking about um, even buying a new house together, okay, so you're, you're both jointly on the mortgage. That's great. But again, sort of playing it out from, well, what happens if you do decide to separate, right? You're jointly on the mortgage. If you're not married, you have no, your only right in New York State, your only right is to end that joint property is that you have to file a partition action. And I'm not going to get into the weeds on what the heck that is, but it is expensive and it is not easy. Wow. And a cohabitation agreement, you can put in there language saying, listen, if the, if the relationship ends and you define what that would be, then, um, you know, the house is sold and proceeds equally divided or uh, one person buys the other person out. And this is how that buyout happens. It can look very much like a marriage, even though you, you're not married. Hmm. They are such wonderful documents. I love this. There's so much important stuff here, guys, because we can't protect ourselves enough. And I think the lesson we learn, I think the best lesson ever that comes after divorce is knowing you got to watch your own back. You really do. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's your back, it's your kid's back, right? And I think sometimes like we're, we are willing to put ourselves in a, we're willing to not advocate for ourselves, right? We're, but if we're talking our kids, I will, you know, I will have that conversation, right? If I'm talking about something that could potentially impact Jack, my son, I, 
I will figure out a way. I will suck it up, put on my big girl pants and I will have that conversation. Absolutely. As you should. And, and if you're worried about having this conversation and scared that it could ruin your relationship, just know that you're probably with the wrong person anyway, because in the right relationship, the person you're with is going to want to figure this out with you and and give you some resolve and, and put your mind at ease by having things clearly spelled out. Yeah. And I think that, you know, again, when we avoid a conversation or when we avoid taking certain steps, it's because we're scared of the black hole. And we, you know, the thing that we don't know, we don't know how it's going to turn out. So maybe a few ideas as to how you approach the conversation, because it is scary and it can feel very big. But perhaps you just started at the basic level of, hey, you know, what are your thoughts in terms of how the mortgage is going to get paid? Or what are your thoughts in terms of our future financial relationship? Just start there. And then you can build into, you know, once you've started talking through these things, okay, would you be willing to maybe put this down so that we both can trust going forward that we agree to this? Mm-hmm. And we don't have to just keep it or we can keep, we can put it in writing. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to come to this. You don't have to come to the discussion with, I want to go into a cohabitation agreement. You know, here's the document. It can, it can flow from a much more natural progressive state. Now, can we talk about one second alimony? Because yes. I don't know the laws from state to state, but I do know them here in Florida. And if you remarry while your alimony payments are still happening, alimony is done. Is it the same in New York? So, so remarriage can in New York, remarriage can be a basis to terminate alimony. Okay. It, it's based upon what the agreement says. So most of the time the agreement says, if you remarry, your, your maintenance terminates, mm-hmm. your alimony terminates. Um, because if you're remarried, you have other, you know, other financial support mm-hmm. injury. Um, so that's another thing to consider when you're looking at getting into a new relationship and, and potentially being remarried. Yeah. And I think, um, so a lot of us, I'm not going to say me in particular, but a lot of women are so scared of the process that they will listen to what their exes say and take that as like the word of gospel. Like if you meet somebody else, I'm not paying you alimony or, you know, I'm not paying to fund your new lifestyle with your new paramour. And it doesn't exactly work that way, but if you get married, it could, (laughs) I think it's important to know that. 100%. And also sometimes cohabitating can be a basis to end alimony or maintenance. Can it? Even if you don't get married? Oh, interesting. In New York. So in New York, there's statutorily, there are certain bases where maintenance or alimony can terminate. The agreement that you enter into with your ex-spouse is going to list what bases from that statute apply to your situation. And it could also include other bases for termination. So before you move in with anybody, uh, you really want to pull out your documents and see, okay, well, what what financial consequences could potentially come to me from this, right? Um, And then touch base with the divorce attorney because there are ways, I don't want to, there are ways, you can certainly still have a relationship and not be cohabitating, even though you may be together a couple of nights a week, right? Right. So, so definitely review your document before you just dive right in. Now, in terms of child support, that doesn't end, right? Because that has nothing to do with you and everything to do with the children. So rest assured. And let's just touch on this for a second as we're talking about child support, because so many times I have people who come to me and they say, 
well, is my new significant other or my new spouse, is their income going to be counted as part of my income? Is this going to impact my child support, either what I pay or what I receive, right? No. I mean, in New York, no, because that's a totally separate income. Right. Uh, So the only time in New York that your spouse's or significant other's income could come into play when you're talking about child support is if you are not paying your child support obligation and you're saying you're not paying because you don't have the money. In that situation, they could potentially say, well, you've got somebody else who's helping with the bills here. That's really great. But I think, you know, I, I, I feel bad because I'll hear questions from women like, you know, I'm scared to tell my ex that I have somebody new because he told me he's not going to give me any more money. And that's where I'm like, run, run, don't walk to your attorney, please. So you can learn and and get things written down. Because it's really, it is in such limited instances when your new significant other, your new spouse's income is ever going to be in play. So Mm -hmm. absolutely go. And that's the thing. It's like so many of us live in fear, right? I, I do it all the time. I, I choose not to, you know, I might delay my physical with my doctor because I'm like, I don't know. Girlfriend, wanna... I'm like four years delayed and counting. Okay. <laughs> we do that. We don't want to get the bad news. Because it's so powerful to know. Okay, it could be bad news, but it also probably is not bad news. It's probably going to be fine. And yeah. then you just don't have that stress. Right. You don't have the stress. I think I've, I've learned so much about procrastination now in my like, you know, middle age or whatever you can consider my late thirties, because it's sometimes so much better to just rip off the bandaid than have it fester. Uh, 100%. When I, you know, so I, uh, finally, and I made the joke about the doctor cause that was me. I was like three years delayed with just a physical. And I was like, I'm just going to go in. I'm just going to do it. And yeah, you got to, like I said earlier, you got to put on your big girl pants. Got to just do it sometimes. And the same goes for if you're in a relationship with somebody and it's getting serious and you want to know how to protect yourself, it's okay to go ask a lawyer some questions just so you know the laws available to you in your state, how you can protect yourself, how to understand your parenting plan if you don't already. Having a conversation, I had, I don't know if you know Bill Farias from Farias. Yes. Yeah, he was on recently and he said something great. Like asking questions does not mean you've now like taken steps in the legal process. You're just learning and it's okay. It's okay to ask those questions. Exactly. And it's helpful because it takes you from a position of fear to a position of power. Mm-hmm. You could choose not to do anything with it, but at least you know. And then the last thing I just wanted to quickly touch on before uh you know, as we're moving forward and this, it, people get really touchy with these, but let's say you're talking Bring about, it a, on. I know <laughs> prenups, right? So obviously we've talked about cohabitation agreements. That's if you're not married, your cohabitation agreement will not in New York state, it would not continue if you get married, unless it specifically says it's going to turn into a prenup. If you do end up getting married and you already have property or you'd be entering into that marriage with, it is such an important document to have to, to get a prenup or to at least meet with an attorney and understand mm-hmm. how the different assets could be handled in a divorce. Because yes, your property coming into the marriage will likely be your property leaving the marriage. Mm-hmm. But what interest do they gain in those properties? 
during the marriage. Very good advice. And and I think people make the mistake in thinking that prenups are only for people who are super wealthy and have lots and lots and lots of money. I mean, I remember my lawyer saying, even if you had $30 in your bank account, would you want half of that to go to the person that you're with? No, you would not. So you have to protect yourself. 100%. And, you know, I was recently interviewed for um, a book, a chapter in a book about a essentially, which amounted to essentially being about prenups. And the that is exactly the misconception is that, oh, this is only for people that have oodles and oodles of money. No. If you have any property, a bank account, if you have a house, if you have anything, it makes sense to at the very least get information as to what happens during the marriage to, that, to those assets. And if you can take it a, another step to get a document, even if that document says, what we had entering in the marriage remains ours and what happened, what we got during the marriage is divided pursuant to the laws of this state. Even if it just says that, because you're establishing a bright line as to here's the exact amount that was in on deposit, here was the exact value of my mm-hmm. house on the date of marriage. And you just, you reduce the issues that you have to then deal with should there be a separation. Lauren, this is really, really helpful information. And to anybody listening who's like at that stage of head over heels in love um, with their new person after divorce, we're sorry if we rained on your parade with this, but knowledge is power and you'll thank us one day. That's what my mom's line is always, you'll thank me one day. Um, But yeah, please protect yourselves. You've been through enough and we're so happy and lucky to have Lauren on here to, to help us do that. Oh, thank you so much. I really love, I really love coming on and hanging out with you. I love hanging out with you too. And I've loved watching you. And now I'd like to know what book you're going to be a part of. Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. So um, the uh, person that interviewed me, her handle on Instagram is Fiscal Femme. Uh, I like that. Fiscal Femme. She's great. So she um, is very good friends with Dasha, who is broke black girl. So she's a financial planner. Yeah, I've seen her. And she's gone through divorce. um, And so, you know, the inter. God love the internet, right? So Instagram just brought us all together. And uh, she's writing a book. I want to say it's out in springtime. That's awesome. Uh, well, yeah. we'll have to share. You'll have to send me uh, the link when it's out so we can share yeah, it. Absolutely, but good yeah. for you. I'm glad they came to your advice because that's the absolute best place to go. Lauren, where can everybody find you if they don't know where you are already? Sure. I'm on Instagram at Lauren Hunt ESQ. Uh, also Facebook at Lauren Hunt ESQ. And then my website is just LaurenHuntESQ.com. I kept it very simple. Very simple across the board. I love it. Everybody <laughs> check her out. Don't be afraid to follow and ask questions. And if there's more you want to know in regards to this topic, email either one of us. You can find me at info at momsmovingon.com. Lauren's email is... Lauren at laurenhuntesq.com. <laughs> I was so, I was like, I should be more like inventive with this. And my husband was like, inventive is a lot of brain power. Just keep it simple. Yeah. And uh, the Moms Moving On book is out now. By the time you hear this, it'll be like just three months until it's officially out. So don't forget to pre-order. We're going to be doing so many fun things for people who have pre-ordered uh, workshops, summits, get togethers, all sorts of cool stuff. So do that. Lauren, I got to send you a copy. Yes. And uh, for everybody listening, thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you. I appreciate you. And I'll see you on the next one. 
Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Moms Moving On. I hope you found today's episode to be helpful, inspiring, and give you the advice you need to feel empowered and strong as you move on. Don't forget to come say hi on Instagram at the Michelle Dempsey and drop us a line if there's a specific topic or subject you'd like us to discuss. Thanks. Stay strong.